um, we have been dealing with the mission of the church last Sunday and this Sunday and uh, John covered two parts of the mission statement last Sunday and before I get into the mission um, we understand what a mission is I believe so I'm assuming so if you go to the bigger organizations uh, or the big companies if you go to their head office you will find a vision statement and a mission statement now whose vision is displayed out there actually you display it so that every employee of the organization begins to read it and makes himself or herself a part of it but that generally doesn't happen it generally doesn't happen most employees are there because they get their salary that's it they have absolutely nothing to do with the mission the vision or the mission the vision generally belongs to the one who envisioned what he wanted to do so mere paas agar bahut zyada paisa hai and i want to invest and do something and i say i have got this many crores with me i want to invest my money on this particular thing and the next 10 years or 20 years i want to see this grow from here to here okay that's his vision whose vision is that the vision of the entrepreneur who is investing his money and then once he plans that in mind he plans all his business plans and then he has a few of his people who would help him in designing the mission statement what is the mission statement mission are those important steps that needs to be borne in mind in order to fulfill the vision you get that in order to fulfill those visions now in a church most of this we are no different than an employee we get our salaries and we go back home we come to church we go back home vision statement mission statement or oh, that's for the board to decide or oh, that's for some of those lead pastors to think about you and i generally don't have anything to do with that am i telling you the truth it is the truth and the church perspective it is a greater truth because in most churches if you look at it almost 70% of people who come to church you know I mean coming to church for ages together are still unbelievers i may not be talking about you i don't have the right to comment about you but the fact is they are still unbelievers in fact if you look at the ministry team in most churches the pastors the fathers the deacons the blah blah blahs of the church 50% or more are unbelievers they get into this profession because this profession is just like any other profession some are engineers some are lawyers some are musicians some are doing this some are pastors some are deacons they get paid for it and as a result you will see most churches not being part of god's mission or not being in the line of god's vision and most churches you will find them either lukewarm or dead and so when we deal with these the mission statements what are the mission statements or oh, we don't have statements we have more than statements we have the the words of the mission that actually drive those statements what are those words anybody we dealt with two of them last week okay ha we we dealt with um grow and gather last week right and we're going to deal with the balance two today it's go and give now 
let me tell you this i started with this because i know that for most people it doesn't make sense because like as employees we come and go we just take what we want and then we leave we're not part of it so this becomes important if you're part of the church it is important to understand three things about god very important things about god one about god as an unchangeable person about his unshakable kingdom and his unstoppable mission please understand that unlike most entrepreneurs who would say let us start this and we'll see how it goes because most of your business activities would change from time to time depending on different environments on government policies i work for a microfinance company i know how bad demonetization hit us it hit us below the belt because of the loans we give we provide to people who don't get financial assistance from banks demonetization hit them so bad that they were unable to pay us our money and the money that we give is unsecured there's no mortgage paisa nahi diya to hum dug gaye right so we wrote off almost close to 20 crores and then came another situation what was that covid covid 1 in 2020 covid 2 the last number of deaths were reported what happened lost your money again but then god's mission statement and his vision is very different from the vision that we draw what is so different about god drawing up his vision and his mission he can see what lies ahead he knows the risks that are involved and therefore his character his kingdom and his attitude towards that vision never changes he has covered all the risk that is involved in this so when he has called his church to be a part of it he knows what he's doing unlike most entrepreneurs you get me we will go through matthew chapter 16 verse 15 to 19 just go with me he said to them but who do say that i am simon peter answered and said you are the christ son of the living god jesus answered and said to him blessed are you simon barjona for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you but my father who is in heaven and i also say to you that you are peter and on this rock i will build my church and the gates of heaven shall not prevail against it and i will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven jesus is building his church he's transferring people from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light he is building his church you know the portion in ephesians is a masterpiece when he describes the church's role in ephesians 3 verses 8 to 12 paul says to me who is less than least of all the saints this grace was given that i should preach among the gentiles the unsearchable riches of christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in god who created all things through christ and listen to this verse 10 to the intent that now the manifest the manifold wisdom of god might be made known by whom by the church to whom to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places we don't think about this 
We think about as a church, I know yes, God has his church and the main purpose is to reach out to people in Dwarka. Right? Or the people that God has placed us. But look at what Paul is saying. Look at the mission of the church and the purpose. He says, by the church or through the church will be made known the mysteries of God to whom? Not just to people, but to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to what? According to the eternal purpose which God has accomplished in Christ through Jesus Christ. In whom we have what? The boldness and access with confidence through faith. This passage is referred to as a masterpiece. In fact, we will not be even able to fathom what this actually means. You think about it. How exactly do I have a role in speaking on revealing the mystery of Christ to the heavenly places? I don't know. It's hard enough to think about how I'm going to make an impact here in my own church. Forget the heavenly places. And so, God's eternal purpose involves His church and His church is invisible. Now look at this. We cannot treat lightly what God takes seriously if you're really part of the church. Understand this. We cannot take lightly what is a serious business for God. And we cannot be semi-detached from what God is so attached to. And he has chosen the church as the sole body to be the light and salt of this earth. To, to be the, the hope and healing to people. To speak up and show compassion to people around us. And thereby reflect his character in and through our lives. So how do we do this? God stated four mission statements that this church should indeed be a part of if we have to take part in his vision. And the first, and let me tell you, there's no particular order to this. There's no particular order to this. And I'll read out four verses, two of which are part of the, were part of the sermon readings. One, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and Jesus came and spoke to him saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And look, this is the statement of whom? The vision builder. He's unlike the entrepreneur. He's the vision builder and he says, look, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. He is saying, unlike the entrepreneurs who will build this up and hire employees and say, look, this is my vision, and these are the mission statements. I'm hiring you. I'm giving you a salary for the positions that you hold. You better do what I say, else I'll replace you. But God is not saying that. God is saying, hey, look, do what I'm telling you to do. For lo and behold, I am with you in this mission. Not the managers that I've appointed. Not the pastors that I've appointed. I personally will be with you even as you go and fulfill this mission. Second part, Matthew chapter 10, verses 7 to 8. He says, as you go, what are you supposed to do? Go preach. Saying what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead. Cast out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. I'll come back to this once again. This statement has a great impact 
on the manner, on the attitude in which we go. First we go and then we give as we go. And the third portion is from Matthew 18 verses 18 to 20. Assuredly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again I say to you, that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. The last verse is Matthew chapter 13 verses 31 and 32. And the parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in the field, which indeed in the, is the least of all the seeds. But when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. That is the words related to the last mission, grow. Now, we all have to go. Now, as I said, there's no particular sequence to this. Where do you begin from? Do you begin from grow, gather, give and go? But I am somehow in my perspective tilted to go in this order. To start with go, give and as you give, gather and grow. It's just a perspective. Yours may be different and there's no, nothing right and wrong in this. As we go, we must freely give in word and deed. And as the word is being preached, we gather. And these gatherings, what do they do? They help us grow as disciples and also numerically. And then what happens? We just grow from strength to strength. Now, what happens if you don't do this? What happens if these four things are not part of the church that you come to? And this is what happens. What happens if you don't go? I'll tell you what happens if you don't go. We will be consumed with all other things in life. We will be busy with strategies, with building funds, with how, what people should wear when they come to church, how you should look when you're standing on the stage, how you should preach, how you should sit, how should the seating arrangements be, what should be, you know, the, uh, the something, what should be the snacks? These are the things that will occupy our minds when we are not actually going. Why when we are not going, we have the time to do all the other things. Think about all the other things. Because you're not going anywhere anyway. We are not doing anything that Christ has asked to anyway. And so we are busy with so many other petty things that take us away and our minds away. We are hurt quickly by what people say. And then we also want to leave the church because we are not part of the going. What happens if we don't give? We will become stagnant. Why? Because there is no outflow. There is nothing going out from us. And thereby, nothing will come into us as well. There is no space to take in. Because there is nothing going out. God has given us so much. We keep it to ourselves. It's just not going out. Because it's not going out, there's no space to fill yourself. What happens when we don't gather and when we don't meet? We become isolated. We become individualistic. We become disconnected. And we also become easy prey. We are not gathering. We are not sharing with each other. We don't have people to correct us. And we don't have opportunities to correct others either. We are okay with people as they are. You have a wrong attitude, it's fine. 
I can't correct you. We live in a democracy. You have every right to believe what you have. You extend the national democracies into the church and do what we want to do. And we don't grow. We are easy prey. We are dependent on all the WhatsApp forwards. We have so many forwards coming to us. And out of the 10, we will be impressed with one. And then we'll dig more into that forward. And we will be thrilled with that. And then we'll forward that to 100 other people. And they say, come join this group, join this group. Look, something fantastic is happening out there. Let it be so. But what's happening to you? That is the more important question. What then happens if you don't grow? You'll become stunted and diminished in all areas of your life. You will become a guest in your own house if you don't grow. You'll come to church and behave like guests. You want to be pampered. You want to be treated with importance. That's what we do when we don't grow. So we will deal with two of these aspects shortly. And go is what we're going to deal with today. And my understanding is that the church essentially began at the marketplace. It did not begin in a building like this. It was not that somebody got enlightened with some message from Jesus Christ and he walked into a building and they say, hey, come, 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 come. I'll share about Jesus Christ to you. Come, gather here. No, that's not what happened. It started out in the marketplace. Acts chapter 2 verses 40 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and positions to give to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see all the four elements in those few verses. People went, they gave, and as they did so, they gathered. And the Lord added to their number those who were being saved daily. And that's what happened. And what happened when people grew in that form? Some of these people who became disciples, they got scattered. And some of them reached Antioch. Right? And what happened? They started doing the same things. They started going. They started giving. They started gathering. And then Paul and Barnabas gathered that church and taught them for over a year. Gifts emerged. And from there, disciples went from Antioch to other places. They went again. So the go part never stopped. And from this word go, everything else followed. And they reached a decade later. You see what happened in Ephesians. It's very interesting in Acts 19. In about, verses, in about 10 verses, we see the most awesome growth of a church. It says, Paul begins with 12 people. Just 12 people. And imagine, these are new disciples. People who just came to the faith. Not like you and me who have been going to the church for years together. And had a custom of going to the church and became a tradition. No, they were new people who came into faith. And with 12 people with absolutely shaky foundations. You see what happened? Paul laid their hands on them. They were filled with the spirit. And we see in verse 10 that the whole of Asia heard the good news. 12 people. And the whole of Asia heard the good news. What a statement. And we are here 
there's a lot of people who have been coming to churches. And if you ask ourselves, how many people would have heard the gospel in Dwarka in and through us? It'll be hardly anything. If at all they have. Or else we are almost close to zero. We are almost close to zero. So the question therefore is, what are we to do? We'll continue to come to church like this? Come, pastor will talk. We'll take what we want. We don't take what we don't like. Have snacks and go back. Come back next Sunday and continue to be pampered for life without being or playing an active role in what God has entrusted to do as a church. And going seems to be one of the most fundamental things. Jesus never asked people to come to the church. You show me a verse from the Bible saying that people, that God asked people to come to the church. It never. God asked the church to go to the people. We are a sent people. We are a people who are expected to go out and work. You've read the portion in Isaiah chapter 6 where God, the triune God is speaking among themselves. And somehow they invited Isaiah to listen to the conversation. When I say they, I mean he. The plurality of God. Because in Isaiah says, the Godhead is speaking among themselves. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. What are they saying? This is what they're saying. Also I heard a word of the Lord saying, Isaiah saying this. Whom shall I send? Or who will go for us? Who is this us? The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see the Trinity, the Triune God is not even speaking to Isaiah. But Isaiah seems to overhear what the Triune God is speaking among themselves. He's saying, who will go for us? And Isaiah, the, the man that he is, what did he say? Here I am. Send me. Huh? God didn't even ask him. But Isaiah jumps into that conversation and says, Shh, God, here I am. Send me. Send me. This is the baton that we need to pick up. This is something that we have to pick up and run like a relay race. We take this baton, run, hand it over to somebody. He takes the baton, runs, hands it over to somebody and the process goes on. Until that time that Jesus comes back. And this is an essential part of going. Let's stop waiting to be equipped and have more things before we start doing this. We have been listening to God's word for ages. And my request to you as part of the church is this. Stop living like guests in our own home. This is our place that God has called us to. We are not guests here. We can have other guests into this place. But we ourselves are not expected to behave like guests. We have our mission fields. We have the good news. We have a story to tell. I assume so. I believe so. We have to move out. We are all called to be pastors, to be shepherds, to be caregivers. We have our life groups, which are beacons of hope. You know, the, in, in olden places, I don't see it in Delhi, in the place that I am in, in Kerala, we are part of a huge congregation. I think there are almost around 3,000 families. Honestly, we won't even know who's coming and who is going. But you know, most of these big churches have also local chapels in the local areas. It's hard in a place like Delhi to have local chapels. So our homes become the local chapels. And that's why life group become the local chapels. Those are the areas that you go to. We come to Sunday only once in a week. We don't have access to this place. This place belongs to the school. 
We can't come here daily. We will be driven out. But our homes are life groups which are expected to be open so that that becomes a chapel that we can move into at more at a higher frequency. And life groups are called life groups because they are groups that give life to you, that adds life to you. In the midst of your working hours, these groups are called to add life. Let's see if some of these life groups can become fruitful and become local churches. And that's how we go out. We need not always be part of this. We are expected to grow and move out. Let's see people move on to loop new positions and new places. Take up new professions. Apart from engineering and uh, medicine, Today we see a lot more professions on hand. We need to see people moving out into politics, pursuing public service, moving into areas of providing justice. We don't have enough representations. Let's not be absent from this adventure. God has already looked at all the risks that is involved in fulfilling his mission. He's saying, you're good to go. Get up and go. Don't wait further. And you and I are expected to respond like Isaiah did. Count me in. Count me in. I'll go. Look at two verses. Colossians 1, 16 to 18. It says, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. Look at the terminology, all things that have been created. You, I and everything that we see, every situation and circumstance that we see, every people that we see, is in and through him. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that everything he might have in everything he might have the supremacy. First Peter 2 9. But you are a chosen people. Who? You, the church, are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Look at three things here. Declare is whose work? The work of the prophet. That's what the prophets used to do. They declare it. Priesthood is priesthood. To stand in the middle and intercede. And royal is who? The king. And all these things, things are mentioned in, this, in these two verses. So in a city like this, we are called to think like a prophet or to declare like a prophet, to serve like a priest and to plan like a thing, like a king, sorry, like a king. Now, if you go especially to the goal and give areas, you know, in the last um, ministry retreat meeting, I think there were, I think we had listed out those go areas and the give areas. And I'm not going to go into that. It's too broad, it's too wide. And I think it looks too big for us. We haven't started even doing the small things. But I wanted to ask this question. What is your go area? When we think about go, the most important misunderstanding that we have and we need to understand is that we think of go as, oh, that is only for a few people. People like pastors and ministry coordinators, people who are there in full-time ministry, they go. All others can't go because here we are doing so many other things. So what do you see? You see a, a, a divine and a secular divide. What is your main go area? Where is the time that you spend most? Where is the time that you spend most? 
Where do you spend your most of your time? Generally, I spend in my workplace. I leave home at around 8, 38, 45. Come back around 6, 6.30 sometimes, sometimes 8, 8.30, depending on the work. People who travel more take maybe around 10 hours spending in their workplace, sometimes 12 hours to go work and to come back. And they do that five days a week, six days a week. And I tell you, that is our mission field. When you say go, it doesn't mean that you leave work and go and take the Bible and walk around. You all have been given a mission field. Your workplace is your mission field. And you need to understand that. People who go to the offices and work, that is your mission field. People who work at home, right from morning till evening, taking care of your home, children, husband, parents, that is your workplace. And that is your mission field. That is your go area. You can't say, oh, this is not where I go. I need to go somewhere else. No. God has sent you there. So that you can proclaim the gospel there. Now people say, I won't have the privilege to spread the gospel out there. That's not the way to spread the gospel. What do you see Jesus do when he was there? You think he was shouting out to everybody? No, he spoke to people chosen at the right appropriate time, at the right opportunities. You and I have our workplaces and we go there intentionally because it's part of our mission and fulfill the job that we have and the responsibilities that we have. But we go there intentionally because we represent a God and to fulfill his mission. And there we go and bear God's character as his ambassadors. And we pray for opportunities. We intentionally create opportunities to share the gospel. It may not come in a day, it may not come in a few months, but it could come in years if you take the first step of going. The same thing happens at home. And there's another place that we go. What is this? This is the place we come. This is a go area. We come together, meet. And as I told you, a lot of people, even in our church, do not know the gospel properly. And so people who know it have the responsibility to mingle, to meet with each other, not just with people whom, you know, we have our own groups, right? Even when we come to church. You can see that in the snack time. You, 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 you just automatically meet with a few that you gel with. You don't take the intentional step in reaching out to people whom you have not met earlier. We are comfortable to be in our small groups. That is what our attitude is, which is wrong. And that needs a transformation. This is a go area. Our workplace is a go area. Our homes are a go area. Our church is a go area. Trust me, if we can't do in, in what God has asked us to do in these areas where we spend most of the time, how do you expect us to go out to any other place and represent God? It's a foolish thinking. And this is something that we ought to change. That was go. And as you go, what do you do? You give. And that was the second aspect. And let me tell you, what do you give? What is the important criteria of giving? What is it that you can give? Only that which you have. Can I walk up to the first floor, walk into Michael's office, who is the owner of Michael, Mount Carmel School, and then tell Gaurav, Gaurav, yari leja, bechide. Achha paisa milega, kareeb around 30, 35,000. Solid furniture out there. Can I do that? 
Why can't I do that? Simple. It doesn't belong to me. It is not mine. I cannot give what belongs to others. I can give what belongs to me or what I have. Giving is fundamental. It's fundamental. There's a lovely description in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John walks to the temple. You see that? And then whom does he meet? A man who was lame from birth. Look at the statement. What does Peter say? Silver and gold I do not have. But what I do have I give you. What was that? In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Can you and I say the statement? Most of us can't. I will also think hundred times before I can say that. Now what do you give? Let's look at this from the go perspective that we discussed. From our workplace, at homes, in our church, before we even think about other places. What is that we give from the very practical perspective? What is that we can give? I've divided into three things. One, time. Do you have time? Most of us don't have it, right? We don't have it as that we say. 24 hours is all that we have. And you look at it, 24 hours is that everybody has. You want to see entrepreneurs and CEOs working in the church? Going out and serving the poor? There are. There are people who go out into the field and do mission work and they have more than 500 employees working for them Monday through Sunday. It's not about what you have. It's about an attitude. It's only 24 hours. All of you have 24 hours. You come to church today, you came to church today because it was convenient for you to come. And most of our decisions are based on our convenience and not necessarily out of a necessity. If there's a greater necessity, we will move church out of the way and divide our 24 hours in such a way that we can do everything else except what God wants us to. Time for God is not a priority for most people. And I tell you, you will have to learn how to create that time. You will have to create it. You need to learn how to delegate. You need to learn how to plan your work in a manner that you can divide your time fruitfully. And that is what is important. Time is something that you can give because God has given it to you. He's given you time. What is the other thing that God has given? He's given you resources. How do your resources come? Either you generate them or you earn them. Right? Either you get it from your salaries and you buy things and you create assets. Or you are an entrepreneur, you take a loan, you invest in business and then you create more money. Right? That's how you generally do. Create resources. Right? You create opportunities as well in that process. If you're an entrepreneur, invest, you create opportunities for others. How do you spend your resources? You will say, Dete to hai? Har Sunday, pocket mein hat to guzate Dalte bhi to hai? Aajkal electronic hai, to mein online kar deta hon. That's all. Really? Can we not give more? And I'm not necessarily talking about money. And if you want to give more, you'll have to save more. Because there are some resources which you need for you and your family. And you'll have to save more. And like all that I can tell you is, just like you have a responsibility to create time, you have a responsibility to create resources. How do you do that? Stop wasting what God has given you.
Stop wasting it on stuff that you actually do not need. And I'm compelled to share the advertisement of Jockey here. You know what Jockey is, right? Their core product is undergarments. Have you seen that advertisement? What does it say, the slogan say? If not Jockey, fill up the blank, what is it? It says, if not Jockey, nothing. What is the company trying to say? It is saying that if you're not wearing a jockey undergarment, it is as good as you're not wearing anything. Does it have an impact? It does have an impact, whom? Especially on youths. Why you underwear or you go to Sarojini market and buy an 80 rupee stuff, both will last you for three to four years, depending on your usage. Sorry, I'm just giving you a blank example. But when you spend 600 rupees for that, what is the youth compelled to generally? Generally, what are you compelled to? Why, why should I pay, spend 600 rupees and hide it under my trousers? Doesn't make sense, right? What do people do when they invest something costly? They project it. Right? When you costly TV, TV, you don't keep it in the kitchen or in your washroom. You display it in the living room so when people come they see it. Right? Your costly sofa sets, people see it. You buy and invest in resources so that you can show it to people. What do you do about a jockey? I'll tell you what they do. Because you couldn't show it to others, the textile industry designed something Design the typical type of a trouser. What is that? <clears throat> what is a trouser that starts from half your waist? It's called what? Lowest, right? Lowest, Voltasko? A lowest. It starts from below your, almost below your waist, and it hangs down. It looks awkward to many, but it's fashion. You can't help it. And then you wear a t-shirt, which is only up to kind of just up to your waist. And have you seen youths doing this? Go into a metro, get into a metro. You will have a few girls standing out there, you will have a few boys standing out here. And they'll see that the girls are actually not looking. What do they do? They'll drop something. And when they drop something, what do you do? You bend in order to pick it up. And when you bend, what do you see? Shocking. Now, you are something. Until now, you were nothing. You have fallen into the exact trap that Jockey has laid it out for you. And I tell you, it's not just Jockey. There's so many other advertisements that lure you into these kind of things. Think about it. And that's the homework for this week. What are the things that you spend on and waste your resources instead of creating resources from what God has given to you. Think about this. The last thing that God has given and what you can give is energy. It is the strength that you have. As you grow older, more and more of your energy will start diminishing. And you see that. You see that in your own parents, don't you? Think about the way your parents ran around in helping you out, in doing things for you. How much they did, what they did. After a particular stage, you will see them slowing down. I myself, at my own age, I'm compelled to slow down. From 1992 to 2008, I was involved in sales. But then started my back pain. I was forced to give it up. Moved into operations. And then moved until so much that in until 2014 I had to do a surgery. I've got two rods stuck with my back. Well then I carried on. But now I've got the same trouble up out here now. Finding it hard even to drive. I will be compelled to slow down. And as 
time goes by, you will be compelled to slow down. What do you have right now? You've got the strength that God has given to you. For what? For His purpose. And where does your strength go? In fulfilling what? That is something that you will have to look at. Go. You have a mission field. Go and do what God has asked you to do. And as you go, give. Give from the things that God has given to you, not from somebody else's thing. God has given you time, He's given you resources, and He's given you the strength. Don't waste it. Please don't waste it. Let's be aware of this. We are all fragile. And we have time that is limited. Our days are numbered. We have people, even in the midst of us, who have lost their dear ones. And you and I do not know when that time is. Don't waste today, because tomorrow may not be yours. Tomorrow may not be yours. Go and do what God has asked us to do. Go and give what God has asked us to give. Go give and gather people because that is exactly the process that God reaches out to people. And as you keep on gathering, keep on growing. Look at the example of the 12 people. The 12 people went out and did what God wanted to do. And here, we are busy strategizing. Absolutely no problem in thinking, planning, strategizing. But please do not sideline God. Why? Because when the 12 people went with shaky foundations, God displayed His might in and through their weaknesses. God was says, God could say, hey, look, they were weak, they were new, they just somehow trusted me. They knew, just heard the gospel, trusted me, and then they went, knowing nothing about theology. They haven't studied anything. They didn't have all the 66 books of the gospel. They just trusted and went. And what did they see? The power of God reflecting in and through them, manifested in and through them. But we are busy planning for ourselves how to build God's church. And the process somehow, we turn to leave God aside. And we begin to work on our own wisdom or our own strategies and plans. And God seems to be absent. He's looking down on us and saying, Hey, look, you don't have to wait for the building to come. You don't have to wait for more theology to come into your minds and in your hearts. With the information that you have, go for lo, I am with you till the end of the ages. What a promise. Thank God. And let's ask God to transform our hearts and minds and tune us to have a look at God's vision and be a part of God's mission. Amen.